I am so excited to be here. Uh, I have been looking forward to being here at First Baptist in Eaton, and um, I, I really want to thank Pastor for inviting me to come, and for all of you deciding that on a lovely Saturday in February, you're going to come here and spend time with us. It, I, I really appreciate that. I'm confident there are other things you could be doing, but you decided to be here, and I really appreciate it. Um, I, I should tell you a little bit about myself just because then you'll know who's talking to you. I don't want to waste a lot of time on that topic. My name is Sam Wilson. Um, my dear wife is Rhonda. She is not with us today, sadly. Uh, she, she, she's at home. Um, home, I'm, I'm an Ohio guy. Uh, I've lived all over creation, but I grew up in Ohio. And um, if you cut me, I bleed scarlet and gray. And uh, I go around Atlanta all the time shouting OH at people. And sometimes they answer appropriately. Uh, so I'm, I'm an Ohio kid. My wife's a Texan. And uh, we have any Texans here? Uh -huh, we do, we do, we do. You know what they say, you can tell a Texan, but you can't tell them much. Oh, you've even got your Texas shirt on. All right. Uh, so I married a Texan, which is the best move I ever made. That was 42 years ago, 42 and a half years ago. And uh, I'm still Twitter-pated and, and in love and thanking the Lord for my sweet wife. We were serving the Lord in North Central Ohio at a local church. And the Lord called us to the mission field. This was a long time ago, and it was in 92. Uh, yeah, for me and Brian, that's not long ago, but for the rest of y'all, it's a long time ago. Uh, the Lord called us to the mission field, and we, God initially called us to go to Russia. And so we moved to Moscow, Russia, um, learned to speak Russian. Somebody said something. That was interesting. I have to figure out who that was. Anyway, so we, we served in, in Moscow, Russia, planted a church in downtown Moscow, and we were in Moscow for 14 years, um, and we thought we'd be there for the rest of our lives, but God had other plans, and he never asks me. Uh, he just <laughs> surprises me all the time, and after 14 years there, we were busy serving the Lord, and God said, time to leave, and we're like, we don't want to leave. And he said, I didn't ask you, I told you. And I said, yes, sir. And so we came back to the States, actually kind of grumpy about it and didn't really want to be here, uh, wanted to be on the field. And then God said, go to Israel. And we're like, okay, that's great. We're completely taken off guard. Had no, that was never had considered going to Israel before, was thrilled to be sent to Israel and uh, didn't know anything more than I mean, anybody that's read the Bible knows something about Israel, and that's how much we knew about Israel and about Jewish ministry. And so we knew we were clueless, and so we thought we'd better make friends with somebody who knows something. And so we, we at that time joined up with International Board of Jewish Missions. So I'm a weird missionary. I have two mission boards. My first mission board is Mansfield Baptist Temple in Mansfield, Ohio. That's our home church. And my second mission board is International Board of Jewish Missions in Hickson, Tennessee. And so we joined up with IBJM uh, because they know something about that, and they helped train us up, and off we went to Tel Aviv. And we served in Tel Aviv for three years. You say, why just three years? Well, because at the end of three years, they deported us. Uh, we, were we were ingloriously thrown out of the country, or as I sometimes say, we were given the left foot of fellowship. Um, so we were, we were kicked out of town and, and landed back here in the States. IBJM said, so our people in Ukraine could use some help, and you got the language, you want to go over there? So we spent some time in Ukraine, and now our ministry is back here in the States, and I can tell you all about it in great detail, except for that we have more important things to do. So I'm working now three jobs. Number one is exactly what I'm doing here. This is my day job. 
uh, is helping churches reach out to the Jewish people in their community. Uh, because because 40%, approximately 40% of the Jewish people in the world live here in the U.S., and we are not getting the gospel to them. The job's not getting done. We've got to get the gospel to them, and the only way that's going to happen is if the church does it. And so job one is trying to, trying to reach the Jewish people here in the States by, by mobilizing churches to reach the Jewish people in their community. Now, I just said the words, mobilize churches to reach the Jewish people in their community. I'm going to say the same thing using different words. Equipping Christians to reach their Jewish neighbor for Christ, okay? Because the way the church reaches the Jewish people in their community is when you reach your neighbor, okay? And so, so that's job one. Job two is I'm also Eastern European director, so I'm, I'm the one who works with our team over in Eastern Europe, which is primarily Ukraine. Um, yes, I have all kinds of opinions about that, in case you're wondering. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, a job that they didn't give me, but I just took upon myself, is I work, I spend, I invest a lot of time and energy in recruiting a new generation of missionaries. Um, I'm very burdened about the need to see young people respond to God's call to the mission field. Young people. I hope to get time with you this week uh, while I'm here. I want to talk to you about God's calling in your life. So that, that's, that's who we are. Um, and I think that's more than enough about me. So let's get, in, let's get into the Word of God. Open your Bibles up, if you would, to Romans chapter 10. Now, let me explain to you the plan for this, uh, for what we're going to do while we're here. This morning, uh, I say this morning, from now until 1 p.m., we're going uh, to do four sessions. And, and, and for those who are wondering, let me, let me lay down a ground rule. It's morning, and we just had coffee and donuts. If... You have a need to go visit a small room while I'm talking. You are more than welcome to go do that at any time. Just get up and go. No, don't be embarrassed because I, you know, I, I talk endlessly. You, waiting for me to stop is a bad business plan. Okay, so, so when it's time to go, then just please make, be, be comfortable. Okay, um, so this morning we're going to start out with four sessions, and I'm, a lot of today I'm laying groundwork. Okay, so. The first session, I'll be honest, what we're going to do in the next few minutes, and we're going to have, we're going to have like 40 minutes, and then we're going to go straight into the second 40 minutes. So I'm going to run two classes back to back. That's why I said if you need to take a visit, take a visit. Then we're going to break for 15 minutes, and then we're going to come back and do two more 40-minute sessions. Okay? So we're going to do two, break, and then two. So there's four lessons between now and one. Okay? And then, and then the rest of the day, I you know, do whatever you please. Um, tomorrow, Sunday school. Uh, and let me talk to you about the four lessons. First one, I'll be honest, the, the first 40 minutes is to introduce you to the idea of why we desperately need to get the gospel to the Jewish people. The second one is to begin to understand who are the Jewish people. Because if you understand who they are, it's really a lot easier to witness to them. Uh, thirdly, I'm going to give you some strategy, okay? Because a lot of times the way that we reach people some of the methods that we use, typically use in evangelism or have, have, have traditionally used in evangelism don't always work with Jewish people. And so I want to explain to you how to reach Jewish people. And then fourthly, we're going to talk about one of my favorite tools for reaching Jewish people, and that is using their own culture, their own holidays as a way to witness to them. Okay, and so that's what this morning's about. That's what we're going to do this morning. Then tomorrow morning, Sunday school hour, we're going to do something that I think is a load of fun. I call it how to start. And basically, it's 
there, there are several people here in the room who are like, I know God wants me to witness to Jewish people, but I'm scared to death. Um, because I see, how do you know that? Because that's true everywhere I go. People are just, they're like scared to do it. I'm going to give you five ways to start a conversation with the Jewish people that are super easy. Five ways to start a conversation about spiritual things with a Jewish person. And you're going to say, I can't do that. And then I'm going to tell you, and you're like, oh, that's easy. I can do that. Um, my favorite lesson of all is going to be tomorrow morning during church. Um, and I'm going to show you how to use the Old Testament scriptures to lead a Jewish soul to Christ. You're going you're gonna to enjoy that and have your pencils ready because we're going to cover a lot of ground. And then tomorrow night we're doing something that's going to be a load of fun. We are going to pretend that we're not at church or at synagogue. We're going to pretend that we are a Jewish family and it's Passover and we're going to have the, Passover, the Jewish Passover celebration here and I'm going to pretend to be the dad and you're all like, boy, you gotta, do I have a lot of kids? Uh, you're going to be my kids, and we're all going to have the Passover celebration, and I'm going to show you how they celebrate Passover. And do you remember the last session today is about how to use holidays? And I'm going to show you several ways that you can use Passover to witness to a Jewish person using their traditions, and some of it will knock your socks off. Okay, it's amazing stuff. So that's the plan, and so now I've given you an overview. You probably can just go home and quit because you already heard everything. All right, no, don't, do, don't, don't leave. All right, so that's, that's the plan for what we're going to be doing today, and I hope you'll be able to be here for all of it or most all of it. Um, I want us to start in Romans chapter 10, and we're going to read the first few verses. It says here, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord's blessing on his word. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather together and, and study your word and, and to spend time studying about how to reach our neighbors for Christ. Lord, I pray your blessing upon this time as we read your word. Help me to teach and preach as you would want in a way that honors you, in a way that's true to the word of God. And Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts that we'd be able to understand, but more than understand, to receive it into our heart and more than to receive it into our heart, to put it into action. Lord, work in our hearts today. We ask your blessing. We need it, Lord, without you, we're just spending time together. But Lord, I pray that you would meet with us and do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, most Bible-believing Christians say they, they have a love for the Jewish people. I'm convinced that if you didn't have a, 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 a feeling of love in your heart for the Jewish people, you probably wouldn't have spent your, come, come out on a Saturday morning to spend Saturday morning here. Most of us, now it's really interesting, what, what most Bible-believing Christians don't realize is that most other people who call themselves Christians that aren't necessarily Bible-believing Christians and don't necessarily believe the gospel, okay, non-gospel-believing Christian denominations, they actually don't love Israel at all. In fact, many of them are hostile to the Jewish people. The Jewish people are accustomed to being treated poorly by everyone. 
and especially by people who call themselves Christians. If you look at the history of the Jewish people, the Jewish people will tell you that through much of their history, they were treated better in Muslim lands than they were in Christian lands. And that's true. And that's horrible, but it's true. And so, so much of the larger Christendom, much of the, the, the Christian world, so to speak, is not, doesn't love the Jewish people. But, but those of us who are Bible-believing Christians, we read the scriptures, and so we naturally love the Jewish people. But our love, I have to tell you, so if, if, if I loved my wife the way we love the Jewish people, she would not be a happy camper. Okay, so let me ask you this. Do you love the Jewish people? Most of you are going to say, yeah, I do, I really do. Okay, how do you express that love? Uh, what do you mean? So how does that work out in action? What do you do to show your love for the Jewish people? Um, nothing. Exactly, okay? If I told my wife, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I never did any, anything to express that love, to show that love, if it never worked out in action, she'd be like, yeah, you're all talking, you're no, you're no action. I'm not sure I believe that, you know, this kind of love isn't much use to me. And, and truly, we do have a heartfelt and genuine love for the Jewish people, but we don't do anything about it. We, we have no way of expressing it. We don't know what to do about it. And so I will give you all kinds of things to do about it this week uh, or, or this weekend while we're together here. So if we read this verse, it says here in verse 1, Romans 10, 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, that sounds like a very normal, natural verse. You're like, okay, yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. But it, it's actually kind of an odd verse. Because if you stop and think about it, Paul, according to the scriptures, was the apostle to the, to the Gentiles. Paul wasn't the apostle to the Jews. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. So if we hadn't read this verse, and I said to you, fill in the blank, Paul writes this sentence, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for blank is that they might be saved. Naturally, you'd have said, well, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. That verse is going to read, my, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Gentiles is that they might be saved. But it doesn't say to the Gentiles. It says for Israel. And you go, that's really kind of weird. The apostle of the Gentiles is writing to us and saying, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel might be saved. And you're like, Paul, that's not even your job. He says, I know, but still, that's, that's my heart's desire and my prayer. I deeply care about Israel coming to Christ. It's my heart's desire. It's my prayer to God. Now, that's somewhat surprising, but the next one is far more amazing. So I want you to go back one chapter to chapter 9 and look at chapter 9, verse 1. Now, this is a weird verse because if you look at this verse, so, okay, verse 1 says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now, if you stop and think about that verse, that's a very strange verse. Because Paul is telling us three times that he's telling us the truth. Okay? Now, <clears throat> uh, you're Brian, right? Who, who's Brian? Who, you're Brian, right? Brian. Brian, if you got a letter and you knew for a fact, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that it was from the Apostle Paul, would you think you'd consider it probably be true, or do you think it'd probably be a lie? If you knew for sure it was from the Apostle Paul? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean if, if I get a letter from the Apostle Paul, I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, what is more credible than the Apostle Paul? You know, for sure, if it was from the Apostle Paul, I, I know I can trust it. But the Apostle Paul starts this chapter, chapter 9, verse 1, and he says, I'm telling you the truth. And I'm reading this, I'm like, Paul, I kind of figured you were. I mean, 
Never occurred to me that you wouldn't be. And then he says, I lie not. I'm not lying. I'm like, well, of course you're not lying. My spirit also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. And I'm like, what is Paul about to tell me that is so amazing that before he tells me, he feels like he needs to three times tell me that he's telling the truth? Okay, now I'm really intrigued. Okay, what is he about to tell me? This is, and he's about to tell me something that is crazy. How many of you would be willing to sell your, to sell your salvation? Anybody here willing to sell their salvation? No? Nobody? Okay, okay. If I had a $100 bill, I'm waving a $100 bill up here. I say, I got a $100 bill for anybody willing to sell. Anybody, any takers? What if it was a $1,000 bill? You're thinking, where would a missionary get $1,000? I know. Okay. What if it was a million dollars? Anybody here, would you sell? You're like, Brother Sam, don't be ridiculous. I wouldn't sell my salvation for anything. I agree with you. But Paul would. Look at the next verse. Paul says in chapter 9, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Verse 3, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh who are Israelites. What? What, hold, what did you just say? Paul said, look, what I'm talking about is hypothetical. It's not something you can actually do. But if there was some way that I could cut a deal with God and I would say, God, look, I'm willing to be accursed from Christ. I'm willing for you to take my name out of the book of life. I'm willing to be estranged from you and die and go to hell. If only it would result in the salvation of Israel. I would trade my salvation to see my people won. That's crazy. The apostle of the Gentiles had this burning passion to see the Jewish people come to Christ. Enough that he was willing to put his own eternity on the line. It makes me wonder if, if Paul cares that much for the Jewish people. And if God cares that much for the Jewish people, then why are our hearts so calm and so cold about the Jewish people? What's, what's wrong with us? Now, in case you think, well, maybe he's just talking. He's not just talking because it's all through Romans. If you go to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The, 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 the apostle to the Gentiles is saying the gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Greek, also to the Gentiles. It's for everybody, but it's to the Jew first. That's what he says. Okay, and then if you look at the pattern of his ministry, what is he doing? The Apostle, the apostle Paul, in, in, in his ministry, every time he comes into a new city, what does he do? He goes straight to the synagogue, and he preaches the gospel to the Jew first. And then only afterwards, generally when he gets thrown out of the synagogue, he goes to the, he goes to the Agora, to the marketplace, and preaches to the Gentiles. And so he says in Romans 1.16, it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and then all through the book of Acts, what we see is that the pattern of his ministry is to go to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then we get into chapters 9 and 10 here, and he says, I would be willing to trade my salvation if it would result in the, the, the salvation of the Jews. Paul had this great passion to reach the Jewish people. Back to chapter 10. 
Let's go on to verse 2. Um, in, 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 in chapter 10, verse 2, he says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Okay, they have a zeal of God. The Jewish people have this passion for the things of God. They have an interest in spiritual things. They have a desire and a hunger to get to know God. Now, there's a sense in which all people in their heart, there is this need for God in their soul. Now, you say, well, I know a lot of people don't seem to be concerned about it at all. Yeah, that's what they tell you. And maybe day to day that's where they're at, but when the chips get down... They, they, they care. There's, there's a saying in English, we say, there are no atheists in foxholes. Okay? You say, what's that mean? And so if you're in, at the battlefront and bullets are flying all around your head, the guy that says, oh, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, suddenly you see him on his knees praying. By the way, the Russians, I know about the Russians because I've spent 14 years, they have the same saying. They say, no frontier, net atheist. There's no, there are no atheists at the front. Okay, and that was in communist Russia. They, they, they said at the front, there's no, nobody's, nobody, there, are no, there are no atheists at the front because at the front, when you, when you realize I could die at any moment, when you get real, people know in their heart there's a God. Okay, um, one, of the, one of the funniest memes out there is, you know, an atheist sitting there shaking his face to heaven saying, there is no God! And a Christian walking up and saying, who are you yelling at? Anyway, uh, <laughs> What, what are you, who are you so mad at? I don't get it. The Jewish people have a zeal of God. Now, in many of them, it's hidden pretty deep today. And I'll, I'll get into that actually in the next hour a little bit about why that's so. But many Jewish people today don't seem religious. In fact, I, I read a statistic that said only 7% of American Jewish people actually attend synagogue which is another way to say that 93% of them do not faithfully attend synagogue. Okay, so most Jewish people in America are either not religious or only nominally re religious, okay? And so many Jewish people today in America aren't religious, and there's a reason for that we'll get into later. But, but still, I'm telling you that buried in their soul, what the Bible says here is true, there is that zeal of God. And you see it most clearly expressed in the Orthodox Okay, in the Orthodox Jews. Now, it's really interesting. Just in the last few years, up in Richmond, uh, in Richmond, Indiana, just a little ways over there, uh, many Orthodox Jews have moved from New York City to Richmond, Indiana. And now there's Orthodox, whole Orthodox community, Orthodox synagogue there in Richmond that didn't exist 10 years ago. Okay, um, I've, done a, I've done a seminar like this at a church in Richmond so that they could reach out to the Jewish people there. But, but th those Orthodox people... Wow. They are passionate about their religion. Okay? If devotion to your religion is what got you, gets you into heaven, by the way, it's not. But if, if passion for religion got you to heaven, they'd be first place. Okay? They are really serious about it. They, they wake up long, 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 long before the sun comes up in the morning. And from the moment their eyes pop open, their entire life is regulated by the law. Now, when I say the law, you're thinking, oh, you mean, you mean the, the, the Ten Commandments? No, I don't mean the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is what we think of as the law. But they would laugh at you and say, Ten Commandments. You think Ten Commandments. There's 631 commandments in the Old Testament. Not ten, 631. You're like, oh, that sounds daunting. No, that's way too easy. So the rabbis have come along and added literally tens of thousands of rules and regulations and traditions and things they're expected to do so that their entire life 
is consumed from very early in the morning. They wake up and they have to say a certain prayer. The moment they wake up, they have to do a certain hand washing. That doesn't mean they're washing their hands like we're washing. There's a certain, it's prescribed according to tradition, it has to be done like this and this and this and this. There's this traditional hand washing that they do, a symbolic thing. And then they go through every detail of their life is regulated and everything they're doing is trying to fulfill all these traditions to be pleasing to God. They have this great zeal of God. They are passionately trying to do the things that they believe will, will make them pleasing to God. But the next phrase in this verse says, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They have this great passion. They're working really hard. They're doing it the wrong way. Okay? It, it reminded me of, you know, the little boy that was running 100 miles an hour. His dad grabbed him by the arm and said, son, it, it's good to go fast, but it's better if you're going the right direction. Going 100 miles an hour the wrong direction doesn't get you there. Okay, and that's exactly what the Jewish people are doing. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. There was this really silly joke when I was a kid about a guy that tonight, and he's crawling around under a streetlight. Look, he, his friend comes up and says, what are you doing? He says, I lost a quarter. I'm looking for my quarter. And his friend says, I'll help you. And they're both now under, on their hands and knees crawling around under the streetlight. And he said, now, where exactly did you lose it? He said, back there in the alley. And he said, well, why are you looking out here? He said, the light's better. Uh... And you say, that's ridiculous. It is, it's a dumb joke, okay? But the Jewish people are trying so hard to find God, but they're looking in the wrong place. I'm, I'm gonna once again go back to chapter nine. In chapter nine, at the end of the chapter, it says, what shall we say then that the Gentiles, which followed not, it's chapter nine, verse 30, the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. And so, I'm going to kind of illustrate this out. Here we are, you and me. Are, by the way, people are going to ask, are you Jewish? I'm not Jewish, okay? I just minister to the Jewish people. I'm, not, I'm a Gentile, like I suppose that most of you are. Anyway, so here we have uh, me and you. We're Gentiles. We're going through life. I wasn't looking for God. Gentiles weren't looking for God. They're just living their life, doing their thing, not even thinking about God, and they ran into something. They said, what's that? And God said, it's God. And they're like, oh, that ain't good. What do you want? And God says, look, you're a sinner, you're on your way to hell, but I've made a way that for free you can be saved and go to heaven. And the Gentile said, well, that's a great deal, I want that. And the Gent that's, what, that's basically what this verse says. It says, the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is a faith. So we weren't looking for God, but we found him by grace through faith, okay? But Israel, verse 31, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness. Israel, that is running as hard as they can to try to fulfill all of these tens of thousands of rules and traditions and commandments. Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, wherefore here means why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. So the Gentiles that weren't looking for God found God by grace through faith. The Jewish people who were just running as hard as they could, trying to fulfill all the commandments of the law, didn't find it. Why? Because they did it wrong. Because they're, 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 they're seeking God by the works of the law. And in fact, that's what it says here. We read, just read verse two, I, in chapter 10, verse two, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So what are they doing? Verse three tells us what they're doing. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness 
and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now that's a mouthful. That's a little bit complex. So let me just bring out one phrase, and, and I want you to focus on one phrase here. It says, going about to establish their own righteousness. That's what the Jewish people are doing. The Jewish people are, are fiercely, furiously trying to establish their own righteousness. They're trying to be good enough. They're trying to follow the law, follow the commandments, follow the traditions, do everything that they're told they have to do because they hope that will make them good enough. They're trying to establish, they're trying to say, God, look, I followed all the rules, all the commandments, all the traditions, I'm righteous. They're trying to establish their unrighteousness. Now, that's what we say about the Jewish people, but you want to know something? If you want to this afternoon, we can go down, down and eat and start talking to people on the street. We can go to Uganda and talk to people in Uganda. The whole world is following the same plan. The whole world is going around trying to establish its own righteousness. We go, we, we go talk to people in, in downtown Eaton and say, hey, you're going to go to heaven? And a lot of them will say, well, I hope so. I think probably, yeah. So why, why do you think God will let you in? Well, I, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I'm a good son. I, I haven't killed anybody. Okay, I may not be the best guy, but, you know, I'm way better than him. I mean, seriously. You know, compared to, compared to that guy, I'm really great, okay? We have all kinds of ways to try to prove that we're righteous. And, and you know, I mean, in Russia, you, you ask that question, oh, I'm a good person. And like, really? And, and they'll pull the chain out and they'll, they'll show you, I got a cross, I wear a cross. Because of that, I, I think I'll go to, I, I'm baptized. I, I think I'll go to heaven because I'm baptized. We have all kinds of reasons to prove it, Okay. You don't even have to be taught this. Little bitty kids who have never been taught anything. They, you know, mama walks in the, in, in, in the kitchen and they're, they're, they're elbow deep in the cookie jar and they got cookies all over their faces. She says, you've been in the cookie jar? And they go, uh-uh, no, no, I'd never do that. Okay? But then we get to be adults and we're way more clever. We're really smooth. We can, we can pretend we're righteous when we know good and well we're not way better than little kids can. But we're no different than they are. We're still all furiously going about trying to establish our own righteousness. That's just how humans do. And so it says here that they are going about to establish their own righteousness. And folks, that will never work. It'll never work. Now, I'm old and fat and never have been athletic. Let's suppose that we had a contest where we said, let's see who can jump across the Ohio River, okay? And so I line up, it's gonna be me against LeBron James, okay? You think I can take him? Yeah, I don't either. Okay, I line up and I give it a mighty jump and I make it about 18 inches. Yeah, that's probably what I would do actually, okay? And splash, I didn't make it across. And LeBron laughs at me and he gets a big running start and he leaps and he goes 12 feet. Well, that's way more than I did. And splash. Because nobody can jump over the Ohio River. That's ridiculous. And that's how it is. You know what? We look at one person and say, he's wicked sinner. That's like me, 12 inches. That's all the righteous I've got. And then we look at another guy and he say, he's really righteous. Oh, look, he can go 12 feet. He can go 20 feet. And God's like, yeah, you haven't even begun to reach my righteousness. So how can we be saved? Well, I'm convinced that you know the answer to that. Verse 9 talks about it. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. How can we be saved? I think you know the gospel. If I'm depending on my good works, on my religion, on my righteousness, I have no hope. I will never get there. I will perish and go to hell. But if I say, I know that Jesus Christ, God the Son, left heaven, came down to this earth, gave himself on the cross, shed his blood to pay for my sins. He died, he was buried, he rose again the third day. And the Bible says that if I will put my trust in him, he will forgive my sins. And I've done that. I've, I've asked God to save me based on what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, based on his sacrifice, based on his shed blood. Then God's promised he'd save me. And that's what it's saying. It's saying, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do I get saved? Is it by being righteous? No. Does God want us to be righteous? Of course. Will it save you? Never. The only way of salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some people are teaching, there are famous preachers here in America that are out there publicly preaching that there's one way of salvation for Jewish people and a different way for Gentile people. Okay? But the Bible says, next verse, verse 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord overall is rich unto all that call upon him. No difference. There's one way of salvation. It doesn't matter if you're from Africa, if you're from Asia, if you're from, if you're from Eton. One way. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, rich or poor, fat or skinny, smart or dumb. Okay? Whoever you are, there's one way of salvation. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And so the Bible tells us in verse 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's only one way, and that is the way. Now, it might be that somebody would look at me and say, Well, Brother Sam, I don't understand the problem then. If it's that simple, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. I mean, it says here, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Then why don't those Jews just call on the name of the Lord and be saved? I don't get it. What's the problem here? Why, what's, what's wrong with those Jews? And I would answer, and I'd say, well, you know, that's a really good question. What is wrong with them? Why don't they just call on the name of the Lord? Because it is. It says right here, whosoever call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is the problem with them? Let's look at what the scriptures say. The next verse says, how then... Shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Brother, the problem is they can't call on the name of Jesus and be saved because they haven't believed in Jesus. The whole problem is that they haven't believed, and that's why they can't call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Well, that's no answer at all. You're saying it's because, just because they haven't believed, but it goes right back to the same thing. Why don't they just believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so they can call on him and be saved? They just need to believe. That's, I don't understand what the problem is. Again, good question. I appreciate you bringing that up. Let's see what the scriptures say. It says, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? You see, brother, they can't be saved because they can't call the name of the Lord because they haven't believed in him. And they can't believe in him because they, they haven't heard. They haven't heard the gospel. That's what the scriptures say. Seriously, you expect me to believe they've never heard of Jesus? I mean, we live in America. Of course they've heard of Jesus. Everybody's heard of Jesus. Clearly they've heard of Jesus. Don't, don't, don't even tell me they haven't heard about Jesus. Well, you know, you're, you're right 
in a sense. They have heard about Jesus. But what have they heard about Jesus? Have they heard the gospel? No, they haven't heard the gospel. You know what they've heard? They've heard from their rabbis and from their culture that Mary wasn't a very good girl and she was slipping out and she was spending time with these Roman soldiers and she got pregnant and she was with child and she knew it was going to be a big scandal and so she went and told everybody it was God. And so that Jesus is the illegitimate son of Mary and a Roman soldier. They, they, they've heard that. They've heard that Jesus is a false teacher and a false prophet. They've heard that. They've heard that Jesus was a nice Jewish boy, that the Christians took him and made him into a god. They've heard that. They've heard all kinds of things that are not true. They've heard all kinds of things that are blasphemy. But they've never heard the truth. They've never heard the gospel of how you can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, that's terrible. I, I can't That's terrible that they've heard all that. Well, why haven't they heard the truth? What's wrong that they haven't heard the truth about it? Let's see what the Bible says about that. Because it says right here, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, when it says, how shall they hear without a preacher, it's not talking just about me and about pastor. It's talking about every one of us. See, you and I are called to be preachers of the gospel. We're called to be a witness. We're called to take the gospel to the lost of Eaton, Ohio, and the world. But brother, my question to you is, they have a, how can they hear without a preacher? Have you gone and taken the gospel to them? You see, we started this conversation with you asking me, what's wrong with those Jews that they don't believe and call on the name of the Lord and get saved? And I want to ask you, what's wrong with you? Why have you never taken the gospel to the Jewish people? What's wrong with the church? Why have we failed to take the gospel to the Jewish people? Maybe the question here isn't what's wrong with the Jews. Maybe the question's what's wrong with us? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to... I'm going to conclude this session with four things, okay? And you're going to hear this over and over all weekend long. If I was going to give an invitation right now, which I'm not going to do, maybe I ought to. If I was going to give an invitation right now, I would say this. Would you be willing to go find a Jewish soul? And when you find him, I'm not asking you just give him a gospel tract and forget about it. I'm not asking you just to say, here, let me give you a five-minute gospel presentation and then forget about it. No, I want you to find a Jewish soul and love him. Really, really love him. To pray for him. To sow the word of God in his heart. And to keep doing it no matter what. Because it's only as we love them and pray for them and sow the word and persevere that we're gonna see him come to Christ. And so what I would say to my friend with the hat is would you go find a Jewish soul, love him, pray for him, sow the word of God, and stay out, persevere no matter what. That's the only way they're gonna hear. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, I come to you now and I thank you for this time that we've had together. I thank you for these dear folks. And Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts, that you'd stir our hearts, that we would love the Jewish people the way Paul loves them, Lord, the way that you love them. And that, Lord, it would not be 
a love with no action, but, Lord, that we would love them enough that we take the gospel to them. Lord, call out witnesses from this church. Lord, that every person here this weekend would come to the conclusion of, yes, I'm going to go find a Jewish soul, and I will love them, pray for them, sow the word of God, and stay out of it for as long as it takes. Lord, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now, as I said, we're going to go right into next session. Um...